Well, welcome back, everybody, to Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. I am your sex-positive sex therapist and couples therapist and family therapist, Donna Harris-Richards, L-I-C-S-W and C-S-T, that's Certified Sex Therapist, certified by ASECT, the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And I'm here with my wonderful producer, Vicki, today. Hey, Vicki, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. Doing great. It's warm out there, isn't it? It is muggy. (laughs) So we'll just try to be chill here today with each other. Um, And I just want to say that the mission of Sex and Couples Therapy is to help individuals, couples, and families embrace and integrate sex-positive thinking into daily life for optimal health, including sexual health and wellness. So we go for annual mammograms, gynecological exams, and prostate exams for physical sexual health. I feel that we owe ourselves checkups on the emotional and mental aspects of sexual health, again, for optimal health and wellness. So there you have it. That's our mission. And um, let's see. Let's just check in, Vicki. It's been a while. What are you up to? It's warm out there. Are you staying cool? Are you getting to the beach? What are you doing? It is warm. Um, I was. I was at the beach last week. Nice. I was actually on Martha's Vineyard with the family. So oh, great. Yeah, I took a couple of days off last week. It was nice. Oh, good for you. Oh, I like to hear yeah. that. Good, good. How about you? Uh, let's see, what have I been doing? Well, working. And uh, yeah, being outside, uh, walking, love walking, um, you know, getting out to a little outdoor restaurant here and there, uh, being social, you know, seeing people more that always lights me up, um, playing with my partner. We do gigs. So we had actually three gigs in the last two weeks, which was really nice. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're outdoors now, so it makes it easy. And it's just like such a beautiful experience, you know, making music with your partner and being out in the elements. You know, we have this project that's really fun. So, um, yeah, so that's been nice. It's been quite lovely. That's awesome. I am unfortunately letting part of my lawn go brown. That's one little heartbreak for me, ever so small. But yeah. <laughs> because we're trying not to use too much water here, but um, the yeah, flowers we have, we are blooming. A, you have a water. Th- we have a water restriction here too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that's kind my of tomatoes are not so happy, good. but that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it'll be fine. It'll it'll all come back around somehow. But the birds yeah. are singing. I've been looking at beautiful cardinals and blue jays, and oh, it's just great. It's great. That's awesome. Yeah, so um, so the gals here in our in our team have been talking about kind of wanting to do a thing on mom guilt and sort of the good mother role. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today, right? Yeah, yeah, I and it's good. Yeah, it comes up uh, in my work with uh, couples and families, and um, it's it's an important thing I think to to address. And as you know, Vicky, I do a lot of normalizing, right? So mm-hmm. you know when people have worries and fears and anxiety i mean a lot of what i'm doing is letting them know how how understandable that is how expected it is how normal it is um so today we'll talk about that and we'll talk about sort of why this guilt stuff happens um dads sometimes have it too um and we will just talk about how to cope and sort of the work that i do with with couples and families and how to make things better and lower the level of distress yeah yeah so i have a quote um, I have two quotes, actually, I thought we could start with. Um, one is a, a Maya Angelou quote, and Maya Angelou said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. 
And I say that in support of moms out there and parents because, you know, I think moms and parents worry so much about doing things perfectly. You know, and if I don't do this right, am I going to somehow, you know, mess up my kid? Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, as long as you're, you're there and you're doing the best you can and, and it's good enough, I think, you know, your kids know that, they feel into that, and it's all okay. So I thought that was a good a good quote to support folks with. And then another another quote that I think is very important, and I don't know, maybe somebody knows who the author is, but I just found it as unknown, an unknown writer, is putting myself first is, t- is taking care of my family. I cannot pour from an empty cup. Right, so it's kind of like the oxygen mask on the airplane idea, right? If that, if that plane's in trouble and uh, people need oxygen, Adults need to put their masks on first and then on their children. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, interestingly, uh, because, and this is because I think people are basically good at heart and they want to do the right thing for their children and their families, they often think about their kids first, right? And so when I've asked this question about the airplane, I mean, the uh, oxygen mask on the airplane, you know, sometimes moms and, and people will say, um, yeah, I would put it on my kid first. And it's like, no, that's the wrong answer. You have to take care of you. And if you don't, then you cannot take care of your children. Right? You have to be able to breathe as that plane's going down <laughs> or no, nobody else is breathing. <laughs> so that's a really, really good um, sort of illustration that I think helps people t- to take better care of themselves. Um, You know, there was a study done by, let me make sure I get their names right, Um, Cindy Lynn Miller and Shaylin M. Strahan from the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg, Canada. And um, they they published this scholarly article uh, about, you know, mothering of young children. And um, they sampled 143 young mothers and found a significant relationship between mother guilt um, and problems in health-promoting behaviors. And sort of what they came to ultimately, and we'll talk about this today, and this is a lot of my work, is the idea that self-compassion is a very, it's a critical element to helping folks begin to think differently and do differently for their health and the health of their families. And I know that's easier said than done, you know, being compassionate with oneself. Um, but I think that's great modeling for children. And I think it's just great modeling for the family if a mom can be more compassionate with herself. But it's super challenging because it's a transition, number one, right, to go from partner with your significant other if you have a significant other, mothering. I mean, if you're, if you're a, a single mom, that's, you know, that's even more stressful to a degree. Um, but if you are, you know, compassionate with yourself, then hopefully you're modeling that for your partner and your children and, and lots of folks. But this is really just not necessarily something that's encouraged. So that's why I love being able to talk with people about this and encourage them to be more self-compassionate. I mean, ultimately, people want to do well. You know, moms want to be great moms. Um, and so... Um, when I know that, you know, in the in the back of my mind, um, because we know that people are essentially good at heart, um, it's it's easy to support folks in that way. 
So I have some clients, couples, families, you know, where I'm working with, with the mom um, and uh, they're doing well because they have just made the choice and decided to start doing things for themselves. Um, like for example, uh, one couple that I will never forget, she, they decided, you know, they came to me, they were like, look, we are people who do our homework. So you don't have to worry that we're not going to do our homework. <laughs> we're going to do it. So we started to do lots of, you know, uh, planning, you know, their date at the time, you know, well ahead, a week or two ahead. Um, and then, and then she started, um, I think they were doing Wednesday night dates cause it, it worked out for them that in the middle of the week, it was just like a nice to get that break. Um, you know, other couples do it on the weekends and that's fine, but sort of planning ahead again, puts positive neurons in your neural pathways, right? You have that thing, not only that you're doing when you're on the date or scheduling quality time, but you have it to look forward to throughout the week. So uh, when I'm working with moms, like I had this one client who, um, her girls, little, little ones always wanted to go with her for the mani-pedi. And, you know, she did that for a long time. Um, and then finally she just decided, wait a minute, you know, as well, we were working together, I'm going to go get my own mani-pedi. Um, and then I can always take them with me here and there, but it's really important for me to take care of me first. And, you know, if they came to her maybe once or twice and said, oh, you know, look at your nails. Not that they noticed much. Um, you know, they would say, how come we can't go? How come we can't go? And she would say, well, you know, this is something mom does for herself. And, you know, when, when you can, I will, I'll take you. We'll, we'll figure it out. But as she started to do this on a regular basis for herself, it was extremely helpful, not only to her lowering stress, her lowering her anxiety, but their, uh, their relationship just got better and better as she was doing all this stuff and just happier and happier. One of my friends that um, I think her son is four now, she, every Thursday morning, she drops, either a babysitter will come to the house or she'll drop him off somewhere. And she, it was hard for, she did this a lot when he was younger. And then during COVID, it got a little tough, but then, I mean, now it's, it's fine. Um, but yeah, I think he's four, maybe he's five. Every Thursday morning from like eight to 11 or eight to noon. So like for the first half of the day, she has a completely free day for herself to do whatever she wants. Sometimes she'll do errands. Sometimes she'll go catch, you know, mm. a, not catch. I don't think she catches a movie that early in the day. I don't, I don't really know when, what time movies are. I don't know what she does. Maybe she watches one or whatever. But either way, the point is that she has that half of the day pretty much for herself just to do things that she wants to do, whatever that might be. And I think that's amazing. And do you, has she said like how she's liking it or how that's going for her? She loves it. She, she won't make any plans in that time. Mm. It's a spontaneous time for her where she can be totally and completely free. You know, she'll have a loose plan of like, if she really needs to get something done or say that that's the only time that can work for a doctor's appointment or something, she'll try to do it then as well. But, um, that's her, Mm. that's her free time. That's her float time. She calls it. So she can just kind of float around like a little butterfly and do what she wants. And good for her. (laughs) Oh, that is just wonderful. Excellent. I think it's wonderful. It's fantastic. And I think it's especially challenging for, for, you know, newer moms who are dealing with, you know, babies and toddlers, because you're still sort of figuring it out, right? What's okay. What's not okay. 
um, what works, what doesn't work. So that's wonderful. And particularly if you have the resources to be able to hire a babysitter or you have, you know, some childcare resources out there, that's a really big deal. Take advantage of it, moms and families. Yeah, have, however you can. And I think, too, one of the reasons that um, Serena and I had been talking about doing this, you know, or, or having us have this topic is because we've been seeing a lot more through different social channels of moms talking about mom guilt or moms talking about, you know, not feeling like themselves and having a hard time getting back to feeling like themselves while also being a mom or breaking generational traumas and generational, you know, like all of these things that have happened for years and years and years and like fighting and working so hard to break those walls down to, to do better by their kids. And, um, the, there's so many more people talking about it now and I think it's so amazing to normalize it for everybody else that it's it's okay it's that it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world you know so yeah yeah no I think that that's important you know if that's out there in, in the social media world it's obviously a thing um I love being able to tell couples and moms and dads, um, and dads struggle with their own stuff. I mean, I've got a couple I'm working with now, and he's gone all week long and can only be home on the weekends, and, you know, he feels terrible about that. But he's doing this for, you know, career purposes and, you know, income stuff. You know, he's off in in school. So so that's a good thing, looking to the future. But um, what I wanted to say about this is that it really is important to separate from your child so that your child can develop uh, coping skills, you know, dealing with their own little fear and worry and or if they have that at all, you know, being away from mom or or being able to uh, assimilate with other children, right, or other people. It just it just makes them sort of adapt and be able to to deal with the world, Um, you know, and early on. Great. I think it's really important. And I think as adults, we don't think of that. We just feel like, Ah, I have to be there all the time for my child, and that is just not the case. It's not. It's not true. It's actually good to give them time away from you. It's good to model, you know, for parents to be going out on a date and having fun time. I remember my own parents. They used to do that. Um, they used to. They were involved in projects. You know, they were involved with uh, sort of political organizations in our town. And you know, my mom had a a theater group that she ran and and my dad did his own thing uh, in terms of mm, his hobbies and and then they did things together and sometimes I'd be like hey you know I don't want to have a a frozen dinner but I think in the end it was excellent modeling I saw that this is what adults do you know and this is how they're happier together and if kids know their parents are happier together they have less anxiety if they're happy as people individually, if they're happy as couples. So I know I've said this probably one million and one times, but important to keep in mind. So, you know, I wanted to just talk a little bit about some of the reasons why there is this idea of mom guilt. You know, my mind always goes back to that old um, terrible refrigerator mother myth that got developed in the 1950s when they were starting to look at autism in children. Um, And they came up with this idea that autism must be caused by mothers who are cold, and not warm with their children. Well, we now know this is a complete and total myth. Um, so, you know, part of me wonders, is it, is it that, you know, here we are 70 years later, and of course they broke that down like in the 1970s. They, they, they started to understand that the evidence was not about that regarding autism, that it was about uh, genetics. 
and, and a whole host of factors having nothing to do with this mythological idea that moms are, when they're cold, that, that's what does it. That is just not true. So we now know that's not true. Um, but I think there are these leftovers, right? These leftover ideas that float around when these myths develop. Um, and so let's break that one down and throw that away. There is no such thing as that. Um, and I think what plays into that, you know, one of the things that Dr. Etow talks about, I believe she pronounces it Erin Etow, she did a, a, a thing on um, betterup.com. It's a blog about mom guilt, and I was just taking a look at that. And, and she had some, some good stuff on there. You know, she talks about how working, and this is true, I, I see this with my clients, you know, either working can create guilt for moms, like I'm spending too much time away from my children, or not working. You know, then there's the guilt about finances and, you know, what's the agreement with your partner or is there no agreement? You know, it, has this not been talked about? And this is a lot of what I'm doing in my work with couples and families is really getting clear about, you know, what are the agreements here and how can parents help each other? Um, you know, Eve Rodsky wrote that book, Fair Play, right? We did a whole thing on that, Vicki, remember? Um, it's really important, you know, if partners want more of their partners who are mothering, um, help around the house. That's really, that's really going to make things better. Um, of course, for mom, it can be difficult to accept help, right? And that's another thing Dr. Dr. Ito talks about, you know, asking for help can be very difficult, right? I mean, it's, you want to feel like you're capable and you can do stuff. And sometimes there's this myth that asking for help means we're weak. Of course, that's not true, right? Um, do you think it's Do you think it's asking for help? It's I, I'm that one intrigues me because I feel like if I were and I'm not a mom, so I I feel like this is another thing that happens where people say, oh, if I were a mom, if I they have all the answers until they actually have kids. Mm-hmm. But if it's if it's tough to ask for help, is it is it that they feel guilty asking for help because they feel that they should be able to do it all, or do they have trouble asking for help because? They want it. They feel they want it done a certain way, or they want it done in a certain time frame. Like, is there a certain one that you see more often than the other? I see both. Um, mm-hmm. I see uh, moms wanting to be super moms. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like people just shooting for perfection. You know, per, uh, you know, good enough is good enough. Um, perfection yeah. is is not a thing, and that just raises anxiety. Um, and so. Yeah, feeling like, oh, I should be able to do this is big. Um, And then, yes, that's true. That does come up also, which is asking for help. And then if your partner doesn't do it just like you, um, then being upset or angry about that. But this is where now we get into differentiation and the idea that you're different people. Um, so the way, you know, your partner washes the dishes is not going to be the way you wash the dishes or empty the dishwasher or load it or mop or take out the garbage or whatever, um, or change the baby or, you know, I mean, people are different. So a lot of this has to do with acceptance and being clear. You know, I talk with couples uh, quite often about what is the most helpful thing when they're coming to this process are, is twofold, developing empathy for your partner big important idea that you can say to your partner look you know I asked you to do this thing and here's how I prefer it could you do it more like this 
um, that's fine. You can make that request. And your partner might say, well, you know, I can't do it like that, but I can do it like this. And now you're, now you're communicating, now you're talking, and that's good. Um, but I think couples do a lot of assuming, they do a lot of mind reading, that gets people in trouble. Like assuming your partner is going to do it exactly like you. You know, it's just like, no, that's, it's not reality. And, and it's normal. Again, a lot of this is normal, that expectation. But, you know, we have to just start to get more flexible rather than rigid. Um, but yeah, it's also a thing that people get upset that my partner didn't do it just like I do it. And so acceptance is, is a part of this too. You know, assuming that your partner is going to do it just like you do it or, you know, mind reading. That's a, This is another big one. You know, expecting that your partner is going to know what you need and then just do it automatically. Or you thinking you know what your partner needs or you know, even your child, right? I mean, it's just the great thing about the therapy experience when people are in the room is that you can just turn to them and ask them. You can turn to them and talk to them. But sometimes we just don't have this modeled for us growing up. And that's okay. We can develop at it. Um, so does that answer the question that it is? It, it is does. Both. It does. Yeah. I think if I had to choose which one comes up more often, I I would say probably the first one comes up more often, which is that I want to be super mom. I want to be super amazing at what I do and not have to ask for help. But Mm -hmm. then, you know, I'm a, remember I'm a family systems therapist, right? I'm working with the system of what's going on between two people or within the relationships in a family. And so the system works better if they, if people work together, right? There's this, you know, we live in this very individualistic world now where people feel like, yes, I must do this thing really well by myself. Well, no, you don't really need to. Um, You can talk to your partner. You may not get what you're asking for, but at least, you know, you put it out there and and that's a good thing. Um, And if your partner doesn't like it, you can say, well, look, I mean, you know, we're in this together, right? We made a choice to have a life. We made a choice to have children. We made a choice to have a home and, and everything that we do. So, yeah. um, right? You agree? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's another thing, you know, for the partner who isn't doing the maybe stay-at-home parenting or, or the bulk of the parenting, um, seeing the value in what that brings to them. Like, let's say it's a mom and a dad, right? Let's say it's a, a heterosexual couple, cisgender you know, female and cisgender male, and together they are having a child. Um, I see this a lot where he may not value what she brings to the picture, you know, and, and a lot of the value gets placed on money and that dollar that's coming in or that income. And that somehow, for whatever reason, seems to be the most important thing. And all of the labor that's getting done, right, in the home to create this beautiful place that he gets to come home to, um, and maybe, you know, sometimes it's the other way around. I mean, there's lots of non-traditional marriages now where the woman is the breadwinner. Um, and she needs to be able to see the value that he brings if he's a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home partner. So it's just important to see the value in everything, not just about the income, but all of it that's getting created. So um, other reasons moms feel guilt is sort of uh, feeling bored and craving adult conversation. Um, feeling like badly about that or, or some guilt about that. But it's, it's again, normal, natural, important. Um, you know, when we talk about coping with that, you know, connect with moms, other moms, or connect with mom groups, right? Connect with adults who are, you know, in a similar situation and, you know, dealing with the same stuff. 
or similar stuff. Um, it's really good to get that support. Let's see. Oh, here's one that comes up a lot. Uh, you know, giving kids too much screen time. Let's say like you need to go take a shower right? Yeah. or you you need to get to your work meeting or your whatever. Um, you know, it's OK if you have to put the little kiddo on a screen. Right. I mean, I, maybe you don't want to do it 24 seven, but, you know, a little extra here and there or a lot extra here and there if need, if it's needed at certain times. You know, don't worry. Well, especially now with everyone, you know, whether you work from home and it's virtual, that means that your kids are also home or, you know, however it works. Mm -hmm. You got to do what you got to do to make it work for your own sanity. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And your kids are learning a lot. And of course, we forget this. Your kids are learning a lot by watching you and the two of you. If you're if you're co-parenting, if you're raising children together as a couple, um, so the better you take care of yourself, <laughs> don't worry about the screen time. You know, they're watching you. This is so important. They're watching how the two of you relate. They're watching how the family relates. They're constantly learning. They are little sponges. So the calmer you can stay, the less distress, the less, you know, screaming and this and that and the other, um, the more talking, planning, you know, parents do together. And again, I know stuff happens all the time. And it seems like it's cray-cray in your house, right? Um, but don't worry. It's all right. The more you can plan it and sort of, again, be accepting and, you know, know that stuff's just going to go wrong. I mean, it's, that's just <laughs> how it goes, right? It can be good enough. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, let's see. Oh, not spending enough time with your children, right? So for moms who are working, you know, and they, they just are craving coming home. But, you know, I'm working with a couple now, and they both have very important intense jobs um a mom and a dad and they have two little ones and um toddlers and we are now working on her getting um it wasn't even a goal when they came in together it was more for sex therapy but she's now discovered or sort of figured yes i would like to have like uh, two hours to myself a week so um you know, we're talking about or, or have their they've decided part of the homework is she's going to take an hour for herself on one night and an hour for herself on another night. So she can just oh, have some downtime. And downtime is really important for creativity and imagination and lowering anxiety and less distress. And, you know, you have to right? you have to just feed yourself. So in the couples therapy or family therapy, I want people to have sort of these individual ways that they're developing themselves because it's better for relational development. And if you're needing that, you know, work it out with your partner. Right. That's that's important. And I do see, I have to say, I see couples when when men and women are coming to me, um, if it's a a couple, you know, and and it's when I see couples where it's two women, um, what I see with, with people is that partners really do want to help their partners. You know, I often hear people say, listen, tell me what you want and need. I want to know. You know, and if at all I can support that, I would like to because I want to see you happy. I want us to be happy. So that's yeah. really that's really nice to see. Um, oh, judgment from family members, that can be a thing too. Um, right? <laughs> so if mom is taking time for herself, right, you know, you get the in-laws or the whomever going. That's, really? that's, honestly, it's awful, but that's where my brain first went to. It's like, <laughs> you know, you see him all the time. It's 
stereotypical mother-in-law or whatever being like what are you doing mm. that's just it's awful that's where my brain first went <laughs> do you remember are you too young do you remember the old white glove test I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, you know, I'm 61. So, you know, my friends and I, when we were like in our, you know, 40s and 50s and developing relationships, you know, and the in-law would come over. Um, I had this one really good friend, my best friend for a while. <laughs> Her her mother-in-law would come over and literally she would say, you know, she would take the white glove and run it along the coffee table to see if there was any dust on there. Because for some reason, having a dust-free home was, you know, really the the thing that was so important (laughs) which is so silly because dust just it happens so quickly (laughs) yes exactly it's galactic it's universal it's everywhere (laughs) but the old white glove test that was a lot of pressure right for you know partners or you know you know daughter-in-laws that not not son-in-laws but daughter-in-laws where you know they would feel pressure that everything had to be clean and perfect if the if the partner's mother came over so you know, my mind goes there. But the, yeah, the, when it comes to judgment for family members, you know, and what I say to couples is, look, this is your family now. Your primary partner is your partner with whom you are raising children, right? Or even if you don't have children, now you're in a primary partnership. And that has to become mm, sort of hierarchically number one, numero unero, numero uno, sorry, um, whereby all other family members sort of have to fall below. Because you cannot please all the people all the time, nor should you, nor should you. It's just too much pressure. Um, and comparing oneself, you know, the, this is a, a very important thing, you know, in, in therapy that comes up all the time, how people compare themselves to others, and it really just doesn't do any good. It only creates stress and anxiety, you know. You do you, right? You know, do things your way. As long as it's going as well as it can go, then, then that's good. You know, try not to compare yourself. My mom used to say that all the time. She used to say that when she first had me and she, she's like, she wouldn't know what to do. She would call, you know, her cousins that had had kids and, you know, like all these things. And and she'd be like, how, how did I not know that? How did you know that so easily? And I didn't know that. And her cousins would be like, because we've had like 1900 children and and this is your first kid. (laughs) Like you'll figure it out. It's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Lean on other people, but don't. That's Don't right. compare yourself as a first-time mom to somebody that's had multiple children and, you know, mm. has tips that can help you. Like, don't be upset to ask for ask for help and ask for those tips, you know, because mm. if there's an easier way to, to do something, do it the easier way. Yeah, and if, <laughs> if you can get through, I mean, yeah, reach out to, to the people in your family. Um, those with experience, reach out to your pediatrician, you know, call the office. If, if the pediatrician's not available, see if there's a nurse you can ask a question to to get some normalization. Um, yeah, you, you know, it takes a village, right? It really takes a village. Um, and first time with anything, there are one million questions, right? Is this normal? Is this not? So there you go. Um yeah, yeah, Vicky, that that's right. And and what I do see actually quite often is that once the second child comes, it's like, oh, okay, we've done this already. We know what to expect. You know, so it it, it does get a little bit easier in that way. Um, you know, the other thing I see in my practice quite often is is the sort of uh, pull between motherhood and sexuality. Right, I'm a mom now. I'm in a mom body. Um, you know, having had this baby has stretched things to the max. 
Um, and so it's this transition of how do I, how do I assume sort of the dual role of being mother, you know, parent and partner again, right? Um, and I think again, this is you know we've talked about how we have uh, issues around attachment early on when we're children and youth and all that. Um, and we develop ourselves over time. So I think because of the transition of having a baby, when you've only been a partner, you know, now you're transitioning into the world of being both, right? At the same time, being a partner and a parent. And again, it's like juggling, you know, it's, it, you're learning and you're, you could try new things and um, see what works or sticks and what doesn't and what you're enjoying. Remember pleasure, play, right? All that stuff. Be playful, you know, enjoy yourself. Um Life is short. So it doesn't seem like that, I know. <laughs> when, when you're waking up at three in the morning and, you know, having to deal with crying children. But, um, yeah, the, it's, it, transitions are hard. Any, any transition is hard. And you want to be mindful sort of lastly about, you know, is, are you experiencing if your mood is really low and, you know, you're crying a lot and tearful a lot, are, are you experiencing postpartum depression? Some people do. Um, so please talk to your OBGYN, talk to your physician, you know, talk to your therapist who will likely refer you back to your OBGYN and physician to see if, you know, there's a, a plan that can be put in place to help you start to feel better because you do not have to feel that way. Remember, you know, hormones are driving the show. So you want to be able to kind of figure out how to, how to just be back to, to feeling your best self. Really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially with with that, you can't you can't control it. So mm-hmm. don't don't beat yourself up about it. That's right. That's right. You can't control the hormonal thing that's going on. So yeah, exactly. Just yep. Just just get help. Um, yeah. So I think what we'll do now is kind of wrap up, and we've started to talk a little bit about ways to cope or help yourself, but we'll talk more about that in our in our next podcast. All right. So thank you so much for joining us here. We are delighted to have been together today. And remember that if you want uh, to reach out, feel free to call the office, 508-990-9909. On Facebook, you can find us at The Sex and Couples Therapist. And on Instagram, The Happy Ending Therapist. And the website is www.sexandcouplestherapy.com. So again, everybody, please feel free to enjoy yourselves, have more pleasure and play and passion, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks. 